I am looking for a present for my wife's birthday. Wrong place, wrong place. Junk shop. Exactly. You see, my wife has the absurd notion that she would like to learn to play the piano. Unfortunately, she hasn't a trace of talent. So, do you happen to have one of those old pianos that plays itself? Got one. Don't know if it works or not. It's old. Splendid. Would you mind showing it to me, please? We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul, and I'm Kevin. And that music, man, it just it just affects me. That intro music, I don't know. It just makes me it just makes me want to just talk forever about Twilight Zone. Yeah, it just makes me want to tell how I really feel about this episode. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, before we get into the episode proper, which is um, uh, piano in the house, uh, we we you know just I feel like I we, we I owe an apology to everybody because I just like we we get in like a week or two and then we just take like time off and then and then we come back for a week or two and then we take more time off. I, I think that we're past having our holiday fun and and running off to other shows and everything. I think we're going to be in for a nice groove of the Twilight Zone here for a little bit. So it'll be nice. Yeah, I feel like it's been so long, but it's only been like two weeks. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, since the Grither episode. But uh, I hope everyone had a good New Year's. Hope you had some time to sit down and watch the uh, Sci-Fi Channel uh, Twilight Zone marathon. I unfortunately did not. I I flipped on at one point, and I can't remember what episode it was, but it was something that I really didn't feel like watching at that time. Was it a piano <laughs> you know, in the it, house? I think it was Kick the Can when I flipped <laughs> it on, and we had just we have just covered that, so I was like, ah, I don't feel like watching this right now. So I ended up changing the channel. I think I ended up going to watch a movie or something, and then just never turned it back on, but I love that they do that thing. And, oh, I do uh, too. Yeah, and and then I don't want to hit episodes that we haven't seen yet for the show, and then have them ruined and the I know, spoil right? like, we're, conversation or something. So I don't know. We're we're like you know it's it's now it's now just a coin toss if we've seen it or not. So we're we're getting better. We're, it's like our odds are improving, you know. But yeah, there's yeah. still that off chance, right? So, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I hope you guys did enjoy our tales from the dark side episode. I had a lot of fun with that, and I'm sure we'll get back into that series at some point. But yeah, now we're. We're back uh, into the Twilight Zone. Uh, this, yeah. yeah, and I, I want to throw a shout out. Thanks to El Goro yes. uh, with the Talk Without Rhythm podcast for having us on his show last week to talk about our top three favorite films of last year. So definitely head over there. Fantastic show. Um, El Goro really runs a tight ship over there. And uh, if you don't listen to Talk Without Rhythm, you definitely should. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. And good news for Kevin that one of the movies I picked in my top top three, uh, Suspiria, is actually going to be available on Blu-ray and video at the end of January. So you'll finally get to watch the movie that I was gushing about. So 
Very yeah, good. it's it's going to be a busy end of the month. There's a bunch <laughs> of stuff coming out. I'm really excited about that new uh, uh, Polar with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, yeah, that trailer looked awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be a busy end of the month for some movie viewing, but I'm looking forward to it. Like, I hope that you watch those back to back because it's going to be a weird tonal shift <laughs> from like, you know, like, like, a, you know, Scandinavian John Wick to, you know, East German uh, dance witches. You know, that's going to be a weird, you know, but that's that's kind of why I like hanging out with you, because those two movies could be side by side in your watch list and there would be no questions about it. Like. Yeah, we were just discussing uh, as we we're prepping for the show here, uh, my Amazon wish list, and I added PCU and a documentary about morticians or something like that on the same day a few years ago to my wish list. I was like, what was going on in my life that both of those movies popped in my head to add to my wish list? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, there's no through line. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen PCU in forever. I don't know if there's a, a morgue scene that I'm not aware of. <laughs> so I feel like Polar and Suspiria are probably a better uh, double feature than those two. <laughs> probably. You're probably right. So, all right, let's let's get in get into this one. This is a uh, season three, episode twenty. A piano in the house. Air date uh, February sixteenth, nineteen sixty-two. See, we should just waited a month, and then we could have the air dates match when we actually record. That'd be that'd be too long. Um, number one film is Sergeant's Three. Uh, we talked about that previously uh, on the Kick the Can episode. Um, number one song, Peppermint Twist by Joey D and the Starlighters. Uh, so I didn't find anything uh, relevant history for the day of, but the day after, a couple things. Um, on the 17th, after being rejected by both her lover, Richard Burton, and her husband, Eddie Fisher, Elizabeth Taylor attempted suicide by taking an overdose of second all sleeping pills. She was saved after being rushed to uh, the Salvador uh, Monday Hospital in Rome, where she and Burton were filming Cleopatra. 20th Century Fox invented a cover story that Taylor had become seriously ill from food poisoning. Like, that's, that's a, you know, aside from the fact that that's a big deal of someone trying to commit suicide, like, when you think of Elizabeth Taylor, you think of Cleopatra. Like, this was like... Her like I mean other things too obviously but like that yeah. it's a very striking image that it's just, that's not too far away from when you think of Elizabeth Taylor and this was like one of her big like iconic roles and she was so distraught behind the scenes you know so yeah. um, such a high point of her career and such yeah. a you know rough part of her life it's it, it's amazing uh, her performance in that too so yeah. knowing that that was going on in her personal life it's it's pretty insane so that's that's the the sad story of the day but the good story of that day is that on the 17th lou diamond phillips was born so there you go <laughs> there we go very nice yeah um need somebody that might be of of of, of varying uh backgrounds get lou diamond <laughs> phillips you know <laughs> like that's like <laughs> cool so uh, i will jump into cast and crew here this I, uh I like this episode you, you had nothing about Lou Diamond Phillips that you wanted to Yeah, I got people. nothing. I did. <laughs> Sorry. His actual name, I didn't know this was Lou Diamond Upchurch. So I think like changing it to Phillips is probably a better call. That's what I'll yeah, say. I, like, I thought you were going to say it was like uh, Lou Ruby Phillips or something. <laughs> yeah. Just like a different jewel like, in the middle. Like, Lou Sapphire Phillips. You know, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not really feeling the sapphire anymore. Yeah. Uh, let's switch it to diamond. Lou, um, cubic zirconia uh, diamond. <laughs> that's oh, what sorry, I was I, trying I, to think Phillips, of. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> all right, anyway. that's that's the knockoff uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. But like, oh, it's uh, the uh, we couldn't afford Lou Diamond Phillips, so we got <laughs> Lou cubic zirconium. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. 
um, this is this is gonna get silly tonight. So yeah, let's go to cast and crew, please. All right. So this episode was directed by David Green, who this was his only Twilight Zone uh, episode that he did. Uh, the only other two things I was really familiar with him were he did part one of the miniseries Roots, mm-hmm. um, and the musical Godspell, which yeah. I have not seen. For so good reason there <laughs> um there was a film in 1967 called the shuttered room that he directed that has all of a read in it so i don't know what this movie is but i need to see it yeah i thought yeah, you know familiar it. with that yeah, one uh, i thought you had like two copies already that's why i know <laughs> for once uh called out something i don't own yeah it's it's supposed to be somewhat like i if i remember like and i didn't put in my notes here that is more of like a um a not cthulhu but it's more of like a lovecraftian horror i believe type of thing like uh, but i could be wrong add that to my watch list there you go you're gonna put that on your wish list along with a weird documentary today and you'll be like three years from now like why did i put this on there (laughs) and pcu again oliver reed and gig young very nice that's cool yeah it says more like this dunwich horror uh house of mortal sin haunted palace there's some good stuff in there so so uh, uh something else about uh david green and this just i it is just weird how this, how this was listed on his wikipedia entry it says green was married seven times uh and they give the dates this is uh green was divorced from five of his seven wives his marriage to looks like his third wife ended in her death and his seventh ended in his own death three days later so like i that's that what that means is he got married on his deathbed, right? And I, we get that. But the way that's written is implied like something really terrible happened early in his marriages and that it came back to haunt him at his, his seventh marriage. So I don't know why that was included on the Wikipedia, but guy guy got married a lot. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> weird. again, like who is going on these people's IMDb pages <laughs> right? and putting these things in here? It's so strange. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, this episode was written by Earl Hamner, who we previously discussed on the episode The Hunt uh, just a few episodes ago. And uh, he'll pop up six other times throughout the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I I mean, is he batting a thousand so far? I don't know. I guess we'll get there when we get there. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, we haven't gotten to the one that's kind of his most well-received one yet. So that's fair. I'm I'm looking forward. I forget what the title of that one is, but we'll get there eventually. All right. So we'll jump into cast. We have Barry Morse, who plays Fitzgerald Fortune. And he was in one episode of the 1980s Twilight Zone reboot. Mm -hmm. uh, Probably most famous for his reoccurring role on The Fugitive and Space 1999. But he was also in an episode. I don't know how I've not run across this yet during uh, our Strange Highways here. He was on an episode of this anthology series that was also on CBS in 1961 called Way Out. Oh, I've and it was hosted this. by Roald Dahl. Oh, wow. Okay. No. I've, that's, that sounds like that should be way more prominent. <laughs> like just uh yeah yeah but I, what really caught my attention is that uh I think episode 7 False Face is written by Larry Cohen. Is yeah, it just, so there, there's some interesting people involved with this. Is it just people getting and, trapped in a chocolate factory repeatedly and they just get punished in different ways? Because I would watch that. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it died out. I think it only went um, one season or hmm. something and got canceled. Um, yeah, 14 episodes and then it was canceled. Huh. So, um, yeah, that, I've never heard of that. 
I, I for for um, for Barry Morse, I also saw that he was in the Changeling, uh, and then uh, the the Amicus film from '72 called Asylum, which I I currently own because it was recently given to me as a gift, and I appreciate it. I've just not, not watched it yet because I'm a terrible person with gifts. But I look forward to it now, especially I'm hoping that if if Barry plays a similar character in Asylum, that I'll be rooting for his demise pretty quickly. So that will be interesting when I get there. Yeah, I I watched Asylum a long time ago. I can't remember him in that. But um, was it just a, yeah. like it's like, do you recall anybody just being a dick to everybody in that movie? Is that, that might be him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It's It's been a long time. Um, I almost rewatched it when we were discussing uh, Amicus stuff, but uh, I did not. So next up, we have Joan Hackett, who plays Esther Fortune, uh, his wife, his young wife. And this was her only Twilight Zone appearance. Mm -hmm. And one other thing, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on here. I know I mentioned it on my old podcast when we were talking about anthology films. She was in the Richard Matheson segment of the 1977 film Dead of Night. Hmm. Uh, he did a segment called Bobby, and I believe it's the last segment in the film. And it's 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 one of the better ones in that movie. Um, but that anthology film was done by Dan Curtis, who also did uh, um, Dark Shadows. OK, so I there's kind of a little connection there with uh, Twilight Zone just being an anthology series. And that's one of my favorite anthology horror films. So definitely want to give a shout out to that. And uh, it, she had a very short career. Uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say short, but limited career. I guess she was pretty hard to work with and kind of eccentric. So uh, she turned down a lot of big roles for strange reasons. And she was an activist and everything. So. She just her career had a promising start that she kind of made. I don't want to say the wrong decisions because it was decisions that she thought were important and mm -hmm. she wanted to follow. Um, and it kind of shot her in the foot as far as uh, how big she probably would have ended up because she is a fantastic actress. Um, yeah, I'm not familiar with her work. I see that like what in my notes here. Well, she had a limited career because she also passed away at 49, so that she yeah, uh, died, yeah. you know, relatively young. I, I just want to mention that like her remains uh, at the Hollywood Cemetery, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Her epitaph reads, "Go away, I'm asleep." I appreciate that. Um, yeah. She was also in 1974's The Terminal Man, the Michael Crichton uh, movie. That yeah. I've, I've not seen the film. The book is book is interesting. I'm not like with all things Crichton. Like his ideas are bigger than like um than his characterization. Like like he always yeah. does like the science research, but then his characters are kind of flat. But the Terminal <laughs> Man was an interesting concept. So I, I I feel like I should see the movie, but um it probably it probably isn't that great. But the idea at the time was kind of cool. Yep. Um. And next up, we have Don Durant, who had a very even shorter career. He plays Gregory Walker in this. Um. So he was the titular character of the Western TV show called Johnny Ringo. And he also did the theme song. And uh, I was actually listening. There was a seven inch of the theme song in another uh, whatever the other song. It was like whistling cowboy song. Um, I, I definitely recommend going and checking out his music that he did because he was originally uh, he did a lot of musicals and plays. But then he was performing at the Sands and performing at Vegas and opening for like much bigger lounge singers and everything. And uh, he ended up going on to get in this Johnny Ringo role. Only did a few more uh, 
acting gigs after that and was kind of disenchanted with Hollywood um, or so the uh, <laughs> trivia says. And he ended up starting his own real estate and financial management company. I like, I like so. the whole thing of him being disenchanted where he's just like, he's not given roles. He's like, you know what? I don't want to be an actor anyway. Like he just walks yeah. away, right? <laughs> well, it seemed like he only got outside of like Twilight Zone, a few other things. He was only being cast as like a good looking cowboy. So I mean, he was like, I don't want to play a cowboy anymore. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have some information like his whoever edited his Wikipedia page really like layered it on here. So I like uh, said best known for his role as gunslinger turned sheriff in the CBS Western Johnny Ringo, which he's mentioned, which ran on Thursdays from October 1st, 1959 to June 30th, 1960. What that tells me is it wasn't a full year. But I like that the way it's phrased. It's just like every Thursday from this time, it, no one watched the show. Um, but then uh, <laughs> it goes on further here. It, uh, and I'll, I'll mention Johnny Ringo again in a second. It said uh, Durant himself was seriously injured a few weeks before his 11th birthday when his bicycle chain broke and he careened into the path of a cement truck. He lay in a coma for three days, his right arm fractured, his right femur and hip so badly damaged that doctors nearly amputated the leg before his family scraped up enough money for a specialist. Young Durant was bedridden for more than a year. Like, why is this on his Wikipedia page? And it, like, it's, I mean, it's obviously this is part of his life and it affected him. But I think we just keep fighting like all these random acts of violence when we go look up these people that, you know, doesn't really define their career. But this poor guy, 11 years old, chain broke and he like ran into the path of the cement truck. You know, that's, uh, you know, he lived. So either that usually kills somebody or makes them into a superhero. Um, but I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what a cement truck would turn you into. So I, just, I don't know. I mean, flat. Um, but, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, other, I'm flat man, a flat man, um, able, able to fit under the door, like wherever they're closed. Uh, but <laughs> then it, then it went on to say about, um, Johnny Ringo. It said many, many famous actors guest star on Johnny Ringo. Not many. Cause it didn't run long. The Johnny Ringo playset became the most sought after television, Western toy. And I, and I, 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 the way that's written on Wikipedia, there's no connection to any story supporting that statement. So there's no citation that the Johnny Ringo playset became the most sought after television Western toy, which by itself, that's, just, that's a weird thing to say. That's just one person who really wanted, <laughs> wanted that, that and didn't get it for Christmas <laughs> and just went on the uh, IMDb page and is still holding a grudge to this day. It's like the one guy that didn't like Gunsmoke. And he's like, Johnny Ringo's my guy. You <laughs> he's know? like, I like Johnny Ringo. Um, yeah, it, the other thing I was going to bring up, uh, uh, one of my weird guilty pleasures, there's a film from 1958 by Roger Corman called She Gods of Shark Reef. This was his first, uh, major role. Huh? That's so. a, that's a great title though. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's not the best movie. Some cool visuals. I actually, uh, when we finished the Tiki bar a few months ago down in my basement, we had a party and I was playing a bunch of, uh, you know, tropical themed Hawaiian themed horror movies and stuff. And, uh, this was actually one of the movies I played down there. So Paul, you've seen some of this. <laughs> I, I will take you. Yes. I'll take your word for it. Cause I, I was in the room while I was playing. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Nobody remembers anything. Uh, but <laughs> it was playing. Yeah. I remember, I remember some, uh, potent, um, homemade, uh, uh, drinks that you were, you were firing off behind the bar. So I remember that. Uh, not much else. So I don't, re I don't even remember that. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, next up we have Muriel Landers who plays Marge Moore. 
And she, this was her only Twilight Zone episode. The only other thing I was really familiar with was the Dr. Doolittle movie, the original. Yeah, so actually she has a background in, in wanting to be a dancer, which that actually ties into the episode. But um, but because of her weight and her her frame, she never caught on as like being like a like a, a like Broadway or stage dancer. But yeah, she um, kind of stumbled into no pun intended like comedy. So you actually see you see Grace in the episode, right? But so you can tell she has talent. But it was just that time where because of who she was, she couldn't get into that one point. So she did the thing that you know got her famous which you know you can't blame her like you know if it's if that's what pays the bills and you're good at it but it's just one of those things again where um and we'll talk about this in the episode proper this was something that was just frustrating to me like how how far it went into to who she you know her her appearance versus her you know yeah. so it feels like yeah. that was kind of this was kind of like a small microcosm of her career so yeah yeah um, then next up, we have Cyril DeLevante, who plays Marvin the butler. And we talked about him all the way back in the episode, A Penny for Your Thoughts. He plays Smithers, the old man that works in the bank. Yes. Um, and then he'll be in one other future episode of The Twilight Zone. Guy has a face like a catcher's mitt and hair that's amazing. You know, like, yeah. just <laughs> very, like anytime he shows up, I'm like, I know that guy, you know. So um, and I also have uh, Philip Coolridge or Coolidge as Throckmorton. Yes. Um, cause it's a great name. And I just want to mention only episode of twilight zone. He was a North by Northwest, which seems to be a thing that we keep running into with, with the twilight zone and a film uh, from 1957 called the shark fighters, all one word, not the, but shark fighters is one word. It's like, it's like a war movie, but I really, yeah. really wish it wasn't. I really I wish know. every time that pops up, I've seen that pop up a few times with, uh, actors in the show. And every time I click on it, expecting something amazing, I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> it's I, a war film. I feel like and, uh, we should we should make our own Shark Fighters film then, like, and like, and take it back. We're we're gonna make it about people that just fight sharks. That would be amazing. Yeah, well, it, it'd be like uh, Shark Hunter with Franco Nero. But it's Shark so. Hunter all one word. Like that's we need. You know, like we just need Shark okay. Fighters. Yeah, we need Shark Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> And one day we're going to do North by Northwest for the show, because I swear to God, if I talk about that movie one more time without actually reviewing it for the show, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, I mean, and here's here's another admission. I've never seen it. So oh, I, I, it's I, like, so much fun. I just and I, I consider myself a fan of Hitchcock, even though um, a brief aside, uh, just I know here's me not wanting to talk about this episode, but um, <laughs> there, there's a podcast I've been I've been recommending to Kevin ever so often called Behind the Bastards. And he just did it. The guy, um, Robert Evans, who does the show, he just did a two parter on Alfred Hitchcock. And it's like, oh, just like you. These are things that I kind of knew, but just having it put out like in front of you, you're like, like he it's like, wow, he was he was an asshole. Like, <laughs> so it's yeah. hard. He's just one of those guys. It's like it's hard to like completely separate him from his his like his work because he kind of also made it about him, you know, like, you know, like he. Like when you think of like, you know, directors in that time, it's like, you know, he, he was a personality unto himself. And when he put out a movie, you paid attention. So yeah. just listening to what he put, uh, uh, Tippy Hedren through on the birds is just oh, yeah. brutal, you know, but I'd, maybe, maybe the same thing didn't happen with North by Northwest. Like maybe he didn't send planes down to attack random actors all day long, like he did with the birds, you know, but, um, I can still like the work, but my goodness, my, my thoughts about him as a person have changed considerably having all that information presented to me. 
But yeah, yeah. if you want to talk about North by the Northwest, we'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yep. Sidebar so, over. Yeah. Yeah, there there are a few more people in this, but I uh, couldn't find any yeah. uh, credits for them. So who knows who they are? Yeah. <laughs> If that was you, I'm sorry. Let us know. <laughs> if you're still alive and you were alive. in this episode, let us know. If you are the player piano and like to contact us, we we will definitely <laughs> talk to you. Um, yeah. All right. That's yeah. That's all we got for cast and crew. Let's uh, let's Sterling take it away. Mister Fitzgerald Fortune, theater critic and cynic at large, on his way to a birthday party. If he knew what is in store for him, he probably wouldn't go. Because before this evening is over, that cranky old piano is going to play those piano roll blues with some effects that could happen only in the Twilight Zone. I like that the intro is talking about a piano and it's punctuated by a horn. I just want to point that out. I like that it's a different <laughs> instrument that you use. It's got to be horns. <laughs> it's got to be horns. Zone. Yeah. So um, before we get to Serling's actually entrance into the episode, which I liked a great deal, um, yeah, let's, let's start back at the beginning. Yeah, so you get Fitzgerald Fortune entering Treasures Unlimited, the uh, junk shop, as you heard in the beginning of this episode. Um, and he's walking around. He's looking for somebody that works. They're kind of looking at the uh, strange artifacts that they have lying around or hanging up in the store. And uh, there was some nightmarish, nightmarish uh, imagery going yeah, on here. No kidding. Uh, first, uh, I was hoping this was the same shop for Man in a Bottle. I was really hoping for a second that it'd be amazing. That would have been fun, yeah. but it is not. No. Um, but yeah, there is some uh, some weird things that you see in passing uh, as he's looking yeah. around the store. A lot of masks, which uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll discuss when we get to the end of this episode. Uh, but there's also a clown <laughs> hanging from the ceiling or something that looks kind of like a clown. I wrote down hanging clown thing in my notes because I was like, yeah. As soon as it popped on screen. I wrote all in caps. Was that clown hanging by a noose is what I wrote. Um, Uh, And it's funny that you mentioned the masks. Like I didn't, until you said that right now, I did not think twice about that, but that's a good call. Um, Yeah. Well, there's also a mask similar to the ones that are in the shop on the front of the piano. Yeah. Um, Um, I did like, there was a nice little little tracking shot of him, of of Jerry, which, you know, that's what people call Mr. Fitzgerald. Uh, I would just go by Mr. Fortune, no matter what. Uh, There's a nice tracking shot of him walking through the the store of weird and ends up him looking towards a mirror. And it's like, it's almost like an MC Escher type of like image with the way the mirror is with this kind of like fish eyed kind of appearance. It's a nice shot. I liked it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of great camera work in this, and I'm sure they'll get brought up again. But yeah, I was just really admiring the scenery and the set of this uh, the segment mm-hmm. of the episode. Um, so he finally finds the store owner. He's up on a ladder dusting or whatever he's doing, putting some uh, some of his stuff away up on the shelves there. And he's just a angry crotchety old man that doesn't even want to be bothered by customers in his own (laughs) shop and um so he explains that it's his wife's birthday and she wants to learn piano even though he thinks that she won't be good at it at all so he's trying to talk her out of it but he decided to buy her a player piano so she doesn't even have to waste her time learning so yeah. you're off to a great start with this character. <laughs> Just the way he says it, it's like, oh, she wants to learn the piano, but I don't think she'll have success with it. It's like, Duh. okay, great. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, every, there's the further, the, the more Jerry talks, the more you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't think this guy is meant to, to uh, exist in the real world. Like he is just 
It, he, it's like his, he has like, he almost needs a mustache that he can twirl the entire time while talking about the things that he says. Yeah. I mean, he did have a waxed up mustache, so he could have twirled it. He could have, he but he did to. not. It just, he did not go full twirl. Yeah. Yeah. So they uncover this player piano and the shop owner puts in a, a scroll. I don't know. What is that called? A, a, the, uh, that's a, a, sure. Right. A real, whatever you want to, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever the scrolls for player pianos are, he puts a, that in, plays a song, and as soon as the music starts playing, he becomes noticeably happier and kind of whimsical, asking him, uh, asking uh, Jerry about some of the intricacies of his love life, like, "Oh, oh, you're married. That it, that must be great. How is he, how old is your wife? Oh, 26. You must be a hell of a guy to attract such young." Uh, beautiful women. I bet you guys are an amazing couple and all this stuff. And even gives him a discount on the piano just because it's someone's birthday and yeah. he loves birthdays. And then as soon as the song stops playing, uh, he snaps back to his mean old self again and basically is like, I hate birthdays. They're a waste what of time. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, and you're wasting my time. Just pay me and we'll deliver it. So, yeah. Uh, and so, that's the end of uh, Throckmorton. Yeah. So <laughs> as, as Jerry's leaving the store, it's, just, it's again, it's another nice little tracking shot. And it ends up where you get Serling's intro where he's sitting behind the cash register and he's like talking to the audience. And it's like, I, I wish like you see as he's talking the till to the registers open. It's like you just know he took some cigarette money out of that till right before he did the <laughs> intro. You know, yeah, I, I, I like it because he it's not one of the pans that they edit together or anything mm-hmm. like he was actually there as he walked out of the store. And I love even the attention to detail with people walking across on the uh, uh, behind in the window on the street there. It just it, it felt strangely realistic, like it was a lived in world and not just some like, I don't know, otherworldly shop. It yeah, was, it was strange because usually like these things. They feel like they're in the their own little universe disconnected from reality. And this just it, it for some reason, just having people walk by the window outside added something for me. Yeah, it's, it, I'll end up having my feelings about the episode revealed as we go along, I'm sure. But I just I like this because it was like it, it was almost like the logical conclusion of where you'd want him to be introducing the episode and i i just i, I thought that was uh, great and it was just a nice moving shot and you have his his pitch and you see the people walking in the background so it definitely doesn't look like a soundstage it, it was nice yeah it was good so then we cut back uh we're in the fortune's home that sounds so weird and uh <laughs> the butler comes out marvin and jerry is terrible towards him he basically tells him that he needs to do something about his face because <laughs> yeah, because he, he always looks so sad and upset and it just it, he hates being around him because he just <laughs> he brings the mood down in the house. Uh, but he's being terrible, like straight to his face. It was like Archer so, yelling at Woodhouse. Like it's kind of what yes, it was like. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Esther walks in and first thing he says to his wife is that she needs to let Marvin go. <laughs> at the end of the day and continues to badmouth him while he's mixing drinks up at the bar in the room. Yeah. And he's like, let's fire him. Basically like let's fire him because of his face is kind of what it comes yeah. down to. It's like, <laughs> and then but I love that. He actually said like, you need to do something about that face. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it was uh, like maybe some anti wrinkle cream. <laughs> like, is that what he's talking about? Well, if he would have been allowed to just go on vacation and penny for your thoughts, he would have relaxed some. And then maybe some of those wrinkles went out of his face as opposed to like, like daydreaming about robbing the place. You know, I just feel like maybe he got fired from the bank and he ends up here being a butler for this guy. Yeah. Well, he does say he has some money in this. So maybe he robbed the bank. And uh, yeah, after Dick York stopped reading minds, maybe that was the whole plan. Maybe he was waiting for the next day just to, to rob the bank. I like this. It's a connected universe. It makes sense. All connected because of the butler. Yeah. <laughs> so then it, they turn towards the piano and he's like, oh, so I uh, I take it you've seen the piano and everything. And she seems kind of not so happy about it because he bought her a player piano and she wanted to learn how to play piano. So, again, uh, Jerry is terrible <laughs> and basically says that she has no talent at all and that now she doesn't have to waste her time taking lessons. It'll play for her. He was like congratulating himself because like I remember you wanted to play the piano. That's why I got you one that plays itself. And he's like, no, yeah, thanks. And she's like, but it it plays itself. And he's like, yeah, but you're going to be you have no talent. <laughs> he's like, like <laughs> no, thanks for my birthday present. Like, you know, like, really? Like, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I know the Twilight Zone has a very short amount of time to get from A to B, but it's like and so you have to sometimes kind of be a little heavy handed. But this was like a two-ton hand, like just crashing down every time Jerry opened his mouth about who he is, you know. So yeah, and and he jumps to the conclusion of what's going on pretty quick yeah. in this. Like I feel like I wouldn't have picked up on what was happening, um, if if this was actually happening in real life. Obviously, I picked up on it in the episode. <laughs> but um, so he plays the song, and Marvin is in the room, and he leans over them, smiling, and ends up dancing around the room and laughing and basically saying he's happy and that he gets a kick out of the way that Jerry treats him around the house and falls over on the couch and everybody's happy. Although Jerry's still terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's like almost in like disbelief. He's like, he's like, really? He's like, I'm terrible to you. Like, he's like, yeah. saying, he's like, I'm a horrible person. Like, you know, like, and, and, and uh, the butler's like, well, that's fine. I find it funny, you know? And it's like, so he's ended up crashing out on the couch. And then as soon as the music's over, I like the look on his face of like, Oh no, what did I do? <laughs> he gets up yeah. off the couch. Yeah. yeah. Without like saying anything. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. If I uh, spoke out of turn and just kind of right back to the sad face he had before and leaves the room. Yeah. But like Jerry's actually like, he doesn't like, he doesn't cry foul. He's actually happy because well, one, he figures out what's going on. And two, it's like, I think the fact that this person was like just straight up honest with him was like refreshing like to him. Cause like he's, he's a professional critic. We didn't get into that whole thing where I guess being a professional critic means that you're critical of every single person around you at all times. That's, you know, so he just seemed like taken aback that someone was being bluntly honest with him and he actually like liked it. Yeah. And uh, this is where he says the whole thing about that. He believes everyone has two faces Mm -hmm. and that there's the one we wear and the one we keep hidden. And that goes back to all the masks that we see in the beginning at the antique store or the junk shop, whatever you want to call it. And on the piano. Um, So you get the idea. He's starting to be clued into what's going on. So he puts another song in. And now Esther in the room begins to tell him the truth and she calls him out for basically being a terrible husband and a terrible human being and that she hates him and 
uh, it was a mistake and she was too young when she married him. Well, and she even <laughs> says something to the effect of like, uh, I thought it'd be enough to love you, but you just need someone to bully. Like that's like, yeah, that's yeah. just it, right there. And yeah, her, which comes into play at the end <sighs> of the episode as yeah. well. But yeah, credit to, um, you know, uh, credit to Joan Hackett though. Like you, you feel the venom, like just like, it's, it's a very short moment, but like her, her whole posture changes as she's saying what she's saying. And it's like, it's like barely contained. And I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And all of her reaction shots as this episode go on and her reactions of like taking the music out of the piano and everything. She is probably my favorite part of this episode was her performance. Well, cause she's in like, she's in the gilded cage. Right. So like the whole time is like, she has to kind of keep up errors, but like her, her mask is slipping the entire time, you know? And it's like, it's, it, you, that could have been over the top, but she did a really good job of just like, you know, she didn't have to say anything. It was right there. Yeah. And an episode that, uh, is kind of over the top. <laughs> she, she brings it back down to earth and, uh, her and Muriel Landers, which we'll get to, um, she has a moment that kind of brings it back down as well. So if this, um, if this episode was made today, would it just be a smartphone with like an app that you can just pick songs and play for people? Just be like, whatever that TikTok app is, it just makes people tell the truth on social yeah. media. Yeah, that would be, that's what it feels like it would be. It would be like a really just weird Black Mirror episode, you know? Um, I I actually don't even know what TikTok is. I, I think either. it's people yeah. sing along to music or something. I, or I, mouth. I, I thought it was the Kesha song TikTok. I thought that's what that was, but that's a few years old, so... Um, but yeah, yeah. there's some app. I think it, I think it plays music and you like mouth along the words and oh. I don't know. <laughs> I could be totally. I wrong. appreciate that you're 10 years younger than me. <laughs> I'm trying to put it. my finger on the pulse here, <laughs> trying to make a reference with the Twilight Zone to something topical and I'm failing. <laughs> no, it'd just be like if there was like a cursed Spotify or something that you could just be like, here, yeah. how do you feel about this? How do you feel about Despacito or whatever? Like just keep playing these songs. Like, oh, I'll tell you how I uh, feel about that. That's a catchy song. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so like here i'll oh. play gangnam style how do you feel about that you know but i just feel like it was remade now like i Man, just I, we really have our full pulse on the <laughs> our finger on the pulse of what's popular yeah i just i just pulled a song from what six years ago i just, tiktok and uh gangnam style <laughs> i guess i just stopped listening to music at some point i don't know um that's not true but that, i was trying uh. i was trying to appeal to the youth demographic that was to listen to a podcast <laughs> talking about a show that's over 50 years old you know all the kids are excited about the twilight zone especially so, this episode yeah you know player pianos are coming back right you know you know you know there's some goddamn hipster that has a player piano like in, I, the, in their apartment and they're like all i listen to are these scrolls who wants to listen to i don't know like there was a couple recognizable pieces in this and i could not put their names to the songs yeah there is uh uh wc there is uh uh there's actually I have there, somebody one of my else. Books, there, there's a lullaby song by uh, Brahms. Yeah, um, let's see here. There, there is. Have, I'm in the mood for love. Okay, um, yeah, that was the first here. one. Uh, Saber dance, which is the one that was played for um, Esther. Uh, these foolish things that we get to later, and then Claire de Lune, and then yeah. lullaby. So yeah, like the I, last two are definitely the most famous out of yeah. uh, all of them. Yeah, but but they're not TikTok or Gangnam Style, so. Like, <laughs> but you know, the, like, but you you've watched a little bit of Westworld, right? Like, um, I don't know if you watched Westworld at all. Have you seen some of that or no? I've seen the movie. Oh, okay. So 
um, in the, the TV series, and I've only seen season one, because again, I've admitted repeatedly during this episode that I just don't get the things. Uh, in the saloons in the Westworld Park in the show, there will be a player piano that will play different scrolls like we're hearing here, but they're of contemporary music. Like there's one that's a Black Hole Sun that you hear a rendition of that's through a player piano. Um, there's a Radiohead song. It's like, but hearing it just through like that piano is like you, it's, it's one of those things where it's oddly like familiar, but very alien. And it, it helps like permeate like the idea that like where you're at, this is not, this is not the old West, but they're attaching things that, you know, would be, you know? So, yeah. um, it's cool. Like, and someone actually went through and actually programmed those, whatever you call those reels, to, to play modern music, which is something people hadn't done, you know, with these pianos, I guess, or maybe not in this type of scale. Um, yeah. Th- yeah, it was cool. Anyway, sorry. That's another thing about the pianos. That's not this episode. I wouldn't mind having uh, um, a player piano with just like old Western uh, saloon music playing <laughs> constantly in my basement. Like, cause so. then you just be, you just be like waiting for someone to come in and stare down somebody and kick over a table during a card game. Like that's, and then suddenly the player piano has to stop. Like that's, that's what you does exist to make a rowdy mood until a gunfight happens. That's the only reason why player pianos exist. Yeah. So uh, they, they're called rolls. Oh, that I would just be, looked it up so we could properly sense, as opposed to scrolls or I don't know, long pieces of paper. Like that. Yeah, I just I was waiting for us to get an email tomorrow after this episode comes out like uh, they're called rolls. So would you keep that also in your man cave that you'd have that we talked about, like your secret lair cave, uh, like we talked about for one more pallbearer where you have like the cool ultra spy cave? Would you have a player piano in there somewhere? Nah, nah. <laughs> that's not cool enough. That's fair. All right. Like, yeah. like I want, I want a space age bachelor pad. Like, I, I don't want any of this old west stuff laying around this dusty old player piano. Down there. <laughs> I want this dusty old stuff from mid century. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, anyway, sorry. let's get back into please. This. Yes. So, um, so after the song ends, she realizes that she just told him the truth about how she feels and everything, and um. So he realizes now completely that this what this piano was doing. So you find out that they're about to have a party and she's like, we can't do this when people are over. He's like, oh, no, we're definitely going to do this. So people start walking in. Greg comes in first, uh, the first guest, and uh, he asks where Esther is. And his <sighs> Greg's reaction, another terrible line, says her emotions were showing a little too much and she's going to cover them up. Yeah. So another thing about putting that mask back on in reference to the makeup, um, more mask references here. Um, so he decides he's going to throw another roll in. See, I said it right that there time. You go. Correct. And uh, to get to see what Greg has to say. So he throws the song, starts to play the song, and uh, Greg basically reveals that he is in love with Esther and that they've been having a an affair. Yeah, but I like that they had this sell the point when he first came in where he's like, oh, I love being a bachelor. It's solitude and all this stuff. And and Jerry's just like, you know, keeps like putting out bait to get him to trap himself. And it was like the most awkward conversation of like, why would you have a conversation about solidarity right before? Yeah. you? Like it just it makes sense for the episode. It just doesn't make sense in reality. It just felt weird. Well, um, he reveals after after the music stops and everything, because Esther runs in and shuts the uh, shuts the piano off. Um, after she hears that Greg's confessing to all this and um, 
Jerry basically says that he knew this was going on. He's just playing games with them now to get them to admit it. Yeah. So it was him kind of playing with Greg just because he knew. So he was just uh, kind of poking at him uh, before he actually got him to tell the truth. Yeah. And there's a point where Esther says, don't, don't fool with it. And he was like, I am fooling. He's like, I'm not fooling with it, my dear. I'm handling it with deadly accuracy, which I actually kind of like that line. Cause it's like he, he's, he's zeroing in on what he wants to do and just be terrible towards everybody over the course of the night. Cause he's like, I wasn't even looking forward to this party. Now it's a party. <laughs> like, so yeah, <laughs> like I wasn't looking forward to my wife's birthday party. Screw that. Now I get to mess with people. Yeah. So then, then we get Marge enters the party and she is a boisterous, uh, uh, bigger, a bigger woman, but she's a very friendly, you know, kind of coming over uh, flirting with Greg a little bit, uh, joking with uh, Jerry, and uh, coming over and giving Esther a hug and everything. Um, well, yeah, because like, because Jerry's like, oh, you you just came in as uh, Greg was talking about his uh, basically his secret girlfriend or whatever they said, and, and she's like, oh, are you going to make me jealous? And she's like, you better not tell me who it is, or I might just mash them. It's like, ugh. well, she says, I'm going to scratch out her eyes, yeah, or sit on her and mash her, mash death. her. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like yeah. Yeah, we get it. She's she's overweight and that she's going to lean into it. And it's just it's it keeps going on. And I get that there's a point to it a little bit later, but it's not I don't even know if it's a point. It's just yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a, it's very, a point, but it's not a good point. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's not. Great. It, just, it just feels kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I feel bad for her, but in like I, I feel on two levels, I feel bad for her as the actress and for the character. So yeah. it's just it. it it's kind of gross. Um, so he had more guests started entering behind Marge and he has everyone sit down and he asked for a volunteer. He wants to do something. So he picks Marge. She gets up and he plays a song and she starts revealing that she basically has these other characters inside her head, like Tina. And she's a little girl who loves to dance and all this stuff. And like you said, as an actress as well, that she wanted to be a dancer. So there's kind of this like uh, double meaning between the actress and this character, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. And then she also likes to make believe that she's a snowflake, uh, small, like small and delicate, light, yeah. Fall, yeah, delicate falling and uh, just falling into a handsome man's arms and all this stuff. And uh, I will say her delivery of the second half of this um, her delivery is fantastic, and the camera work um, that George C. Clemens and David Green came up with this—it um, really sucks you into what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it's it's definitely emotional and everything. But like I said, I just I don't know how I feel about it <laughs> at the end of it. Um, but you, you could technically, that, it was great. Yeah, no, but with like Jerry, he's just grinning. Like he has this. Oh this yeah, and and the evil. rest of the crowd's laughing at her at times during it. Um, yeah, and it's just like it's one of those things where it's like it's 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 palpable how like uncomfortable it is. Like just because you know that like she has exposed like her innermost like workings, and they're just laughing, and he is delighted because you know she's laid bare, and they all get to judge. You know, and it was just, it's one of those things. Maybe it, maybe it's like something that's like a response to me where I see these kind of situations and I re- react more like aggressive in the sense of like, 
Because I, not that I've ever been like dancing in the middle of a party and people are judging me. Maybe they have. I don't know. But <laughs> like the whole thing of like you, you reveal a secret truth about yourself, and and you you believe that. I mean, in this case, it's the, it's the power of the the piano. But you believe you're in a comfortable enough space to say it that people are going to accept it, and then you get turned away. Like something about that. I was attaching my own feelings to it, but it was yeah. just I was mad. Like it was it was frustrating to see this. I mean, yeah. rightfully so. Like you're supposed to be mad about it. Yeah, you definitely are. It's it's just the thing about like the background of that actress and everything who mm. wanted to be a dancer and got turned down because of her appearance from that world and having to basically use her weight as comedy and everything. Um, there's just a, it, it. I don't know. It it it's too much. <laughs> it just seems like it went too far. I, yes, I agree with that. Um, and, and not only in the sense of this story. You know, but she does. It's a it's a great soliloquy soliloquy that she gives. And uh, the music in the background really pairs up with it well. And the camera works amazing during it. So um, there's some good to be had with it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So Gerald, like feeling his oats here is like, oh, who else is going to do this? And he is trying to like call out people. And then he he tells Esther, he's like, oh, no, no, pick like put another another uh, role into the piano. And I don't know like what he had intended to picking song wise, but she picks something different and puts it in. And I think that's like the switch off is that his biggest mistake is that it seems according to the rules of this episode that whoever's the person to put in the scroll or hit play is like they're the ones that kind of could dictate who, who reacts, but that isn't really true of what happened at the beginning of the episode because the shopkeep started up on himself. So I don't really yeah. know if that makes sense, but I feel like because he gave ownership to her that he was now susceptible to the powers of the piano. Yeah. And I guess the scroll that he handed her or the role, excuse me, I just look this up and I'm still screwing it up. Um, was it was titled Faust. Yeah. Cause he wanted to reveal the yeah. devil. Right. So yeah. Yeah, because you that, which which for a brief moment I thought this episode was going to like go full tilt crazy, and I was like, "Bring it! This is going to be amazing." That they're <laughs> yeah. going like like this this whole thing, which you have a player piano, which has like a weird mask on it that reminds me kind of of the weird tiki that you know the Brady's had on their Hawaii trip. Um, <laughs> and then I thought maybe because he was like getting down to like you know bass, like who who is the devil here that we were going to have maybe like a howling man moment of like oh my goodness you know like a big reveal. It, you know, it still ends on kind of a crazy note, but like I was, my expectation was so high and then what was delivered was not as high, but I was waiting for this thing to, just to go nuts. Cause I, this whole thing is so like evil and menacing and ill will the entire time that I thought it was going to either go way darker or I don't know. Like I was expecting more than what happened. Yeah. So uh, basically he starts revealing that he is a scared, frightened child inside <laughs> yeah. and that uh, he's he's afraid of people. So he kind of, due to his insecurities, lashes out at other people to make himself feel better or stronger in his mind. Well, I also like it, too, that once she starts like kind of like asking him questions, I, I think it was wasn't it Marge that says, say something, devil, like she's like calling him out after like yeah. there's people like yeah. basically like, like, you know, everyone's circling and they're seeing that he is now going to expose his dark secret, which is that he's just, a, a, you know, a, a wimp, you know, that's afraid yeah. of everything, um, which is a good moment yeah. for Marge too. like, yeah. it feels good. She at least gets some come up <laughs> and the say, tables yeah. turned. Yeah. 
but I also like it that like the whole party everyone's like, well, guess we're out of here. And everybody starts leaving. Like, it's just, like it, it was him admitting everything, not them like laughing at the overweight person dancing. That wasn't the part that made them uncomfortable. It was the critic admitting that he's afraid of the dark and that he's a naughty boy. You know, like really that's, that's the part where you're like, we're out the door now. We can't handle this. Yeah. So, um, Greg's about to leave and he turns towards Esther. He's like, won't you come with me? And she eventually goes and we, we get his final breakdown and basically telling people that, uh, they can't leave him and that he needs them to be there and starts knocking all the glassware off the bar, flipping tables over, <laughs> pulls the roll out of the piano across the room. And then you get, I almost called him Smithers. Uh, you get Marvin, the Butler comes back in and, uh, well, he was the, called the Smithers. Final... He wasn't he Smithers in the episode of opinion for your thoughts. Yes. That's okay. why I almost yeah, okay. called him Smithers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, I almost said it again. Um, <laughs> Marvin comes in and the final line of this episode, he says, you're not funny anymore. Yeah, Cause he's like, don't <laughs> laugh at me. He's like, I won't. You're yeah, not funny. You're anymore. not funny anymore. Yeah. Um, so you have you have Jerry like in disarray uh, with this you know the roll all pulled out and he's ripping it out of the piano and there's no one left you know and that's it that's your episode yeah and it's a great like wide shot showing the destruction he just caused in that room and just how empty that room really is now um, and just him alone with that roll all pulled out yeah and- I mean it's it's a it's a good visual it's just. It's, it's like a stunted landing to this episode though. I feel like, I mean, it, it's all way it's all in front of you the entire time that like all this guy's using this thing for his own devices. It's going to come back to haunt him. That all, that all makes sense. But it just, it's so like, by the time you get to the music playing for him, it's like two minutes to go in the episode. And it's just like, it, it feels, I don't, I don't know. It just, the pacing was a little weird and the payoff was a little like really fast. Yeah. And it was it was kind of predictable just because, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think how many episodes we've seen with just like that cursed or supernatural object Mm -hmm. Um, in specific, like uh, a most unusual camera or (laughs) I wrote down another one. The whole truth, obviously, with the haunted car. If he would have thought a window, that would have been an amazing ending to this where he's like, I want to do something naughty. And he's falls out the window. That would have yeah, been a great. It's been a long time since anyone's <laughs> fallen out of a window. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it, we're progressing in the sixties window, window tech has gotten much stronger. So maybe that's not happening yes. anymore. I want to see somebody run into the window and it doesn't break. <laughs> they that, just, <laughs> that'd be the twist. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I just this like so we we've seen a fair amount of the Twilight Zone now like over half as we talked about earlier. This feels like the most mean spirited episode we have seen. It just feels it just feels foul through most of it, and it's like I mean, granted he does kind of get his you know his punishment at the end. It's just it's so it I just you know. I just wasn't enjoying any of it. Like there's one thing to have like someone that you're cheering against and be like, Oh, I hope he goes down. But it just felt like this. He was the, the, the wide swath of just him being an asshole the entire time. Yeah. It, there, there's no yeah. real character arcs for anyone. No, like no. people are who they are. No one really learns a lesson. Like uh, Esther and Greg just get to be together after, you know, and everybody uh, kind of knows. An affair. Yeah. Everyone, everyone knows just kind of doesn't yeah. learn anything and just leaves. Yeah. That's um, it. and, I mean, he's the same person he was. I'm sure he's just going to move on. It doesn't feel like he learned his lesson. Um, there's no character arc for everyone. Everyone's just kind of mean and or 
who they are. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I guess that's kind of the point is that like we are who we are underneath that mask that we put on in public. But does that make for a uh, compelling episode? I don't really think so. No. And I just it makes me wonder. This is the second Hamner episode we've seen. So Hamner, I'm cursing him right now. <laughs> um, like, and they're both morality like based, you know, like, and, I mean, that, I mean, it's a twilight zone. So there's morality, but this feels like I mean, knowing that he went on to do the Waltons, right? Like it's just, it, th- these are things you can tell that are like, you know, in his head and are important to him, but they're just like, it is, he even admits, and I, it, there, there's some information in one of the books I was reading about how like he didn't know what the job of a critic was like he wrote the story. So it's like, he just like, he's a critic and it's like, I guess literally he just criticizes everybody, you know, this whole thing. Yeah. So well, he said yeah. he didn't know anything about any of these people's lives of like <laughs> yeah. any, like this demographic of uh, people that would be at this party. So he just kind of like made up what he would think a party like this would be like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which have you ever seen um, the exterminating angel? No, uh, at the at Bunuel movie, um, I always butcher his name. Um, this kind of feels like it. That's about a. It's a bunch of a formal rich uh, aristocrats at a dinner party, and they end up not being able to leave the party hmm. because they couldn't find the right time to leave that would be socially acceptable, and they end up staying too long. So like they end up not being able to leave the room that the party is in. Huh. It's from 1962. It's, it's a very strange film. Um, I, it, for some reason, this kind of reminded me of that. Um, so I, I would recommend people go and check that out. It's, it's a hard movie to speak on. I mean, there, there are <laughs> books written about, uh, his films and everything. So it, it's kind of hard, but it just, just the way the people were behaving in this and how quick they were to turn on each other. But having that mask of being like upper class and everything mm-hmm. um, just kind of connected me from this episode to the exterminating angel. Well, it, it, it kind of like when you say that, it makes me think of like um, American Psycho a little bit about how the main character yeah. that would kind of push like the societal norms of like the high class of like what what's expected. So people would be kind of like a prison of their own, like what, what their appearance is to everybody else. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That or something like uh, uh high rise. I've not seen the that novel. yet. I need to see that. I know. It yeah. Or that. the novel's fantastic too. It's pretty short. Um, if, if you ever want to check it out, oh, what was the uh, author's name? He was the one that did crash that, uh, David Cronenberg. Oh, I don't know, but I know, I, but, but Loki's not in Crash, so I know that. Uh. No, but yeah, it's, it's similar <laughs> to that, just like how fast uh, people break down in these situations. Um, but yeah, it, there there are interesting ideas in this episode, and there are some interesting technical aspects, and I enjoy some of the set, and mm. uh, the look of the piano is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like, I was really hoping for some uh, something a little bit bigger, a little bit, <laughs> I, I guess, more entertaining out of this just because uh, how awesome that piano looked. Yeah, no, I agree. So um, so the, 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 the apartment might seem a little familiar to you, at least the hallways. Same ones from the episode The Mirror, another one that dealt with people's internal struggles or whatever. Um, and I felt like the interior felt like that was exactly the same office almost that um, that we saw in The Mirror. 
so that was interesting that it was almost the same same room, and it dealt with kind of similar themes of you know internal like how you feel. Or, or at least perception in the mirror of um, the main character, how he felt everybody was like reacting towards him. So yeah. it's similar. Uh, this was also originally titled, Won't You Play a Simple Melody? I don't know if that's any better than a piano in the house. I really don't feel like either title serves anything. No. Um, and uh, so that, that uh, and also I did not know this. We didn't talk about this with, uh, with uh, the previous Hamner episode. He worked with Serling uh, in some capacity in Cincinnati at the radio station that they were at. So he had a working relationship with Serling when Serling went out, you know, out west to go to Hollywood to start the Twilight Zone. So he actually called him up as like, "Hey, can you give me a job?" And Serling was like, "Well, I need you to talk to somebody first. So, as we've talked about before, Serling really wouldn't take like um, you know submissions because there's so many coming in for scripts. But Hamner kind of like jumped over that a lot because he was friends with Serling. And so Serling put him in contact with um, uh, with uh, Buck Houghton. And Buck was like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Can you write little tiny like stage plays? He's like, no, I can write television. So Hamner, yeah. like, so Hamner's like, and that's what I did. It's like, well, isn't that the same thing? Like, I don't know if that's like... <laughs> But, but well, I, I was reading a little bit about that relationship and basically he had moved to Hollywood um, and he was having trouble getting work. Yeah. Uh, just because he didn't have much uh, um, a background in like television or anything. So he was having trouble getting work. And then when he realized that he had this connection with Rod Serling, he started writing these stories, just copying uh, what the Twilight Zone was doing and taking like ideas that were already kind of done on it and twisting them into his own. So he wrote them with the intention of like, these will be able to sell the twilight zone. <laughs> so when you watch this and it's like, Oh, it reminds me of these four episodes. It was probably those four episodes that he had in mind when he came right. up with this idea. So it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, like, yeah, this isn't really bringing too much new to the table. Yeah, you just it's find not really out anything special. The original draft of this, Jerry, was actually Hitler at the very end. You just didn't know it. Like that. <laughs> well, and maybe there was a draft where he did turn into the devil, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't afford to do that again." Yeah, we can't do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, so far, like I know Hamner's written a few other episodes. We'll get to him more. I just, I still don't have, I don't have a good read on him yet. Like maybe, hopefully, we'll get more of him writing what he wants to write later. So we'll get a better idea of what he's about so yeah, far. Cause these, yeah. these two episodes, he said he wrote at the exact same time and submitted them together. Mm -hmm. So these were like the first attempts he had at doing something for the twilight zone. So hopefully, I mean, we can only really go up from here, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So before we get to the twist, I, I, um, this is something I've not done in a while. I went ahead and, cause I didn't think we, I didn't know if we would actually have much traction on this episode. It turns out we did with, with our weird asides. Um, I looked up some information about player pianos. I just want to mention because you think of technology being like, Oh, there's always this cutting edge and we're just like, you know, this cool stuff's coming right now. Player pianos actually did something that I did not know was a thing back then. And I'll, I'll explain it in a second here. So while the player piano matured in America, this is per Wikipedia, a young inventor in Germany, uh, Edwin Welt, was working on a player which was, controlled all the aspects of the performance automatically so that his machine would play back a recorded performance exactly as it was um, the original pianist that was sitting at the piano keyboard. This device called the Welt Mignon was launched in 1904. It created new marketing opportunities as manufacturers could now get 
um, the foremost pianists and composers of the day to record their performance on a roll, allowing owners of player pianos to experience such performances in their own homes on their own instruments exactly as the original uh, pianist had played it. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Like That's that is really cool. Yeah. Like, that's that's kind of mind-blowing, trying to think about how that technology would work. 1904, right? And yeah, it's like... That's that's amazing. Oh, it's just the idea that it's like you just bring somebody in and then you could just like, you know, because I mean, you look at these scrolls... Sorry, rolls. I just said roll. Um, they're all... It looks like a big punch card that just rolls on, right? So, like, it, it has a code to it. It has a way it plays. And to know that you can mass produce that, that's like... I, I can't think of... I mean, I'm sure there, somebody could tell me I'm wrong, but 1904 for something that was a a um you know analog like you know performance that was pretty much recorded like digitally so to speak it could be recreated digitally over and over again you know like that's that's interesting like um yeah, that's way ahead of its time that's, that's yeah and it turns out player, yeah it turns out the, the the player pianos actually collapsed like the market around world war ii uh just because of production and also radio was becoming a bigger thing so this is one of those things where there was this interesting advancement that got put aside because the actual format itself was falling apart. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, there you go. There's your player piano knowledge. And it says roll here in the notes. And I just did not pay attention at all the entire time we talked about it. So yep. yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it, reels were a lot cheaper than, uh, Shipping in a whole piano, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or a pianist, you know, to come in and play play the piano for you. Like you just order one and wait six to eight weeks, and maybe they'll show up. So, yeah. Uh, did you have any any other notes about the episode improper before we get to the twist? For what nah, it is? I'm good. Yeah, okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving this a one that the jerk would have his own feelings revealed. That seemed pretty obvious from the get go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to give it a flat one, um, but I, I'll get I'll give it a a two, I guess. Sure. Okay. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So okay, that's going to do it for a piano in the house. May we never speak of it again. It'll probably show up at the end of the season. Hmm, I don't oh, yeah, know. Top five, maybe top five. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's been a rough season. It we've been, been we've been hard on this season. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see where we end up at. If this ends up in my top five, then I, I don't know if I want to go on season four. We might be done. <laughs> yeah, we might be done after this season. <laughs> my no, top just five. There, there's been some great stuff. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about how much I love the jungle episode. Dude, despite that's a great my, episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was. Some of these episodes have uh, popped back into my head recently. So, um, no. It, the season's been half and half, I'm, I'm going to say. Well, remember, the most important thing about, about the jungle. A human finger, a sacred death stone, a vulture's claw. you got to have those things. You know, that's the important thing to remember about the jungle. So, um, yeah. That, um, anyway, so let's just let's get through like how people could find us, and then we'll talk about what's coming next. Cool. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and I do have a YouTube page. I keep meaning to put something up there, but uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten around to it. Should probably just put the live show up there so it's on another platform. But you can follow us on there. Something will go up there eventually. Um, you can email us or leave us voicemails at uh, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to subscribe to us and rate and review us on iTunes, it would definitely help us out. And we're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. We are there. Yeah. So next episode uh, is the last rights of Jeff Myrtle Bank. I know you guys are all big Jeff Myrtle Bank fans out, fan, fans out there. So we're getting to it finally. All right. <clears throat> 
Here, here's the surly intro. Um, you tell me when it takes a turn here. So, um, a symbol of a sad but rather com- uh, commonplace event. An impressive funeral the deceased laid out in a most acceptable manner. But in this case, at the last moment, deciding that in matters concerning the trip to the great beyond, perhaps this trip wasn't necessary. You'll see it next week on the Twilight Zone when we present Montgomery Pittman's The Last Rites of Jeff Myrtle Bank. Very often when you write for a living, you run across blocks, moments when you can't think of the right thing to say. Now, happily, there are no blocks to get in the way of the full pleasures of Chesterfield. Great tobaccos make a wonderful smoke. Try them. They satisfy. That's a, that's the way I cure my writer's block is to uh, just smoke, smoke some cigarettes. <laughs> just get so full of nicotine. Anything makes sense, right? You just keep talking <laughs> to your dictaphone. You're like, why is this dictaphone now turning yellow? I don't know. Maybe because of all the cigarettes I'm smoking. But um, what if, what if Jeff Myrtle bank actually died of lung cancer? What if we don't know that's why he died and Sterling's now talking about cigarettes. That's, that's probably not the case, but that'd be really weird. So yeah, that yeah. would be a, uh, That'd be a twist all of its own. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, the last rights of Jeff Myrtle Bank. Uh, I feel like we just did an episode recently where someone that was dead that didn't know they were dead. So hopefully this one's a little different take on it. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And the last one was uh, uh, Earl Hamner story. So Hamner, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody, uh, hope hope you enjoyed this uh, more than the actual episode because I feel like our talk was a lot more fun than the episode. But, yeah, I got nothing other than um, if someone wants you to listen to a song, just maybe maybe take your fingers and just like shut your lips so you don't talk, you know, because you might yeah. reveal a secret truth. Yeah, just keep your masks on. Come back! If you leave me, I'm going to be very naughty!